This morning's reading is from the first letter of John, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Say what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, open our eyes to see you this morning. Open our ears to hear from you and open our hearts to love you more. Amen. So we are continuing this morning in our series on rooted disciples based on the book that keeps getting waved about. Don't be put off by the fact that it's written by John Stott because we know what a great theologian he is. It's very readable. And very helpful. And actually, don't think, oh, well, we've heard it all in the sermons. Because so far, the sermons that we've heard don't cover it all. There's much more meat in there, too. Let's begin with a question. What do you think is our purpose in life? Is it to be happy? To experience as much of life as we can? Is it to be liked? to do good works, to love others. What about if I rephrase the question and ask, what do you think is God's purpose for our lives? Our answers might be different. We'll probably keep to love others. Maybe it's to share the gospel so that people become Christians. Maybe to worship like we have and will do, continue to do this morning. The prophet Micah would answer, perhaps to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. John Stott's answer 
is that God wants his people to become like Christ. God's purpose for our lives is Christ-likeness. The rooted disciple, the committed follower of Jesus, is to become like Jesus. Let's look at the passage that Pat read to us. The passage begins, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And I want to pause there. Great love lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Lavished, what a fabulous word. Generous quantities of love, extravagant quantities of love bestowed on you and me by our Heavenly Father. Take a moment to take that in. Lavished love. And such personal love that we get accepted, adopted, taken as children of God. We belong in the family. We are wanted as God's children. I'm wanted. You're wanted as God's child. Take that in. I wonder if any of you have children and you look at them proudly sometimes and think, oh, they get that from me. Or maybe you look at them more often and think, oh, they get that from me. No, surely it's from their father. (laughs) A few weeks ago, we turned the television on and it was a university challenge. And there, representing one of the universities, was someone called Alderson. We just knew, even though we hadn't seen him since he was that big, that it was a friend of ours' son. Even if they'd had the surname Smith, we'd have known, because he was the spitting image of our friend, that his father. Are we the spitting image of our father? Not our earthly one, but our heavenly one. Verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. John is saying that we're already God's children, But we don't yet have that full likeness. But when Christ returns at the second coming, we will be like him. We will see him fully face to face and we will be transformed to be like him. So that's okay then. I I might not be as much like Jesus as I hope now, but when I get to heaven, I will be made perfect. Except, verse 3 says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. In other words, the hope of what we will become urges us to keep ourselves holy because Christ is holy. So there is this future Christ-likeness promised, but there's a present-day Christ-likeness expected. 
And then the passage ends with verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. I don't know about you, but I read that verse and it makes me want to pack up and go home. I don't always do what is right. I don't always love my brother and sister as I should. Is there no hope? Let's not pack in yet. It's okay to be a work in progress. In fact, this side of heaven, we will only ever be a work in progress. We might feel discouraged when we look at the gap between what we are and what Christ is, but God is not put off. I like this quote from David Jackman. Yet the love of God delights to change rebels into children who belong to the family. The love of God delights to change us rebels into children who belong in the family. Love lavished on us, remember. Last week we heard the verse from 2 Corinthians that speaks of our ongoing transformation. Chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In that verse, Paul's reminding his readers how Moses used to cover his face after he had met with God. He'd leave the tent of meeting with his face radiating God's glory. Unbelieving hearts are also veiled and can't see God. To those who have come to believe in Jesus, the veil has been removed And we, with unveiled faces, look to Jesus and are being transformed into his image, changed to become more like him, reflecting him as Moses reflected God's glory. It's a process. The technical term is sanctification. It's ongoing, and as we saw earlier, it will be complete And we see Jesus face to face. So what about now? What does Christ-likeness look like and how can I grow in it now? Well, at the risk of being obvious, Christ-likeness looks like Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible, that is. Not the watered-down Jesus of my own making who turns a blind eye to the stuff that I think doesn't really matter to him. I don't know if you sometimes change Jesus to become a little bit blinder than he really is. Is that the word? One of the best-known descriptions of Jesus in the Bible, I think anyway, comes from the letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In these few verses, we see something of what it means to be Christ-like. Let me just pick up on three qualities. Firstly, humility. Jesus didn't lord it over others, even though he could have done. Humility. Not thinking ourselves better than others or above others. I remember as a very young Christian going to a conference run by um, the Navigators, a discipleship ministry that we're familiar with through our link with Kenya. It was a a conference at which there were lots of quite young um, people. And the UK leader of the, the Navigators was there at this conference. And I was quite intimidated. I was a very young Christian. And I just happened to be sitting on the same table as him. He took a real interest in everyone at that table. And at the end of the meal, he was the one who started clearing the dishes and asking if anyone wanted a coffee. Like Jesus, this guy, whose name I can't remember, but whose actions I do, he didn't use his position to his own advantage, expecting other people to look after him and to sort his things out. He's been remembered for this 30 years later. Are we like that? Or are there some tasks, some places, some people that are beneath us that we would never say so? The second characteristic of Jesus we see in these verses is servanthood, which is a little bit like my first story. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. We're familiar with the account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. We see Jesus serving in other ways. He served the disciples by sharing his life with them. He served us by going to the cross, taking away our sin. He served his Father by the third characteristic we see, obedience obedient to the task that his father was asking of him, obedient to death. Jesus did what his father asked him to, always. So we're called to humility, to servanthood, to obedience. In one sense, they're all linked. I can't see how you could have one without the other. Jesus modeled this calling, and we are to follow his model Maybe one more characteristic will inform our understanding of Christ-likeness a little bit more. Because we began, didn't we, by dwelling on the love that God has lavished on us. Jesus embodied that love in his earthly ministry. We haven't got time to, to go through what that looks like in detail. But why not choose a gospel? Go through it and note 
how Jesus loved the people that he came across, how Jesus expressed love as he went through his earthly ministry. You'll see his affirmation, his healings, his reaching out to the leper, his questioning to draw people out, his prayer, his disciples, his forgiveness, and his ultimate sacrifice. A few verses further on from the passage that we heard from John's letter in verse 16 reads, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It takes us back to our first talk in the series, but the last chapter of John Stott's book. We live by dying to our self-indulgent natures. We live by dying to our self-indulgent natures. I don't know about you, but I am daunted, even discouraged at times, by the depth of love, humility, servanthood, obedience that becoming like Christ requires. And as I'm sure you've noticed, I fall far short. So where does that leave me? Where does that leave us? Because do you know what? I don't think you lot have cracked it either. Paul tells us we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. We are being transformed, not we will be transformed, not we have been transformed, but we are being transformed. It's God's work. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God refashions believers into the image of his Son. Rick Warren writes, you cannot reproduce the character of Jesus in your own strength. New Year's resolutions, willpower, the best intentions are not enough. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to make the changes God wants to make in our lives. And he quotes Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's God's work. But I don't think it's like going to the hairdresser, being transformed into something beautiful while you lie back and read the magazine. In my experience, that transformation falls apart as soon as you leave the salon and walk out into the wind and the rain. It's more like the transformation of the disciples from the Gospels to the disciples of the book of Acts. The transformation of the denying Peter to the proclaiming Peter. The act of the Spirit. John Stott tells an illustration that William Temple used to use, and I found this helpful, so I'm going to read it from the book. He says, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. 
And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. We have the spirit living in us. We have the Holy Spirit. And if we allow Christ to live through us, if we trust the spirit to give his power, love, faith, and wisdom, we trust the spirit to help us to make those obedient choices, we'll be transformed. As John Stock concludes, God's purpose is to make us like Christ and God's way is to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Let's work with him and not against him. Amen.